Jazz Pigs, welcome to the Trans Lobby Podcast. I'm P. And it's me, your bitch, Jen Ives. And hey, P, what uh, film are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the 1994 Australian cult comedy, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh my god, P, are we only doing films from 1994 at the moment? Yeah, next week we're doing Pulp Fiction. Who's trans in Pulp Fiction? Well, we'll wait and find out. Okay, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Hi Pete, how's your week been? You alright? I am fine. I'm way too hot. It's disgusting. I'm currently in the midst of what by Irish standards would be described as a heat wave and what by any other country standards would be described as just, I guess, a wave. But I'm too hot. I'm not cut out for this. There used to, I keep thinking about when I was a kid, there used to be this polar bear completely ill situated in Dublin Zoo. And there was only one polar bear and it used to just lie there looking like it was longing for a colder climate and its fur was slightly yellowing and it was a really sad sight. I feel like I am for a Coca-Cola, wasn't it, P? That's what it was longing for. Always the real thing with you. Do you think you'd live long in one of those, like, penguin zoo enclosures? You know, where they've got, like, the little bit of, like, shallow water and then they've got, like, the little bit of, like, fake sort of snow area. Do you think... How do you think you'd get on in there? I think I'd do remarkably poorly. Even by human standards, I think I'd do very poorly because penguins are about, what, maybe two foot tall at a push. I'm six foot three. A little bit of peek behind the microphone for our listeners. And I think I'd just look out of place in terms of scale, if nothing else. But the way you're dressed right now, P, I think you would fit in perfectly as a little penguin. P's wearing all black that at the lie, moment. I am wearing a black polo neck jumper and a sort of little fetching denim skirt, which is blue. Prove it. Okay, yeah, she I mean, is. That's, I that's not going to be she, good for our is. audio <laughs> listeners. But I, and I also don't know why, why we don't have the level of trust where you can't just take my word for the colour of clothing I'm wearing, you know? I was hoping it would be white and then I could like make fun of you for looking like a penguin. But um... No, I'm not the penguin from Batman. Anyway, how are you? <laughs> how are things in London town? Yeah, like you, Pete, I'm very hot. Had a bath, like a cold bath. Um, and usually, you know, when you get in a cold bath, you're like, oh my God, that's really cold. <laughs> but in this kind of weather, you get in a cold bath and you're like, oh, if it's really actually nice, like it doesn't feel cold at all. That's how warm it is. But I was thinking, well, you know, we are doing a film today about drag queens in the desert um, in Australia. So it's quite fitting, really, but it is this, this hot. It's going to have that that mood, that ambience, that, that feeling of... Uh, discomfort i think i bought i bought a fanta fruit twist um whoa huge you can't just leave that hanging there what's a fanta fruit twist you don't know what fanta fruit twist is no i mean i don't know if we don't have it here or if i'm just very out of touch with the soft drinks market but please explain so you know fanta you know how you have fanta don't you yeah we have fanta fanta (laughs) I don't know. I thought maybe you'd have your own type of Fanta. We do like... also have Club Orange, which is better. But Blarney we, we have Stone Fanta. Fanta. <laughs> it's called Club Orange and it fucking slaps. But yeah, we have Fanta. Okay. Well, you know how Fanta is orange? Yes. Well, this is Fanta, but it's like pink. It's a pink one. And it's called Fruit Twist. So it's got like more fruits in it. It's got like Is this what would have been called Exotica when I was a child? No, I don't remember that. I don't think I ever. I don't think that exists. So, but the problem with Club Orange is that they've like, they've locked themselves into one flavor by calling themselves Club Orange. <laughs> Incorrect. Their lemon and rock shandy varieties would have you looking like a fool. So, what are they called? Like Club Orange uh, Lemon. Club Lemon. Oh, Club Lemon. So the brand is just Club. Connect the dots, mate. Don't you have Club Biscuits uh, there, though? We do, and they peacefully coexist. Do you still have the, like, the song? If you like a little chocolate on your biscuits, join our club. 
It's not a little chocolate. It's a lot of chocolate. If you like a lot a little, of chocolate on your But there's only a no, little bit lot. of chocolate on it. I would say it's primarily biscuit. Okay, well, don't look it up. Let's, we'll do a poll. <laughs> we'll figure out, let the people decide. Is it a lot of chocolate on your biscuit or is it a little chocolate on your biscuit? I'm pretty sure it's <laughs> Well, don't a lot. say it with that fucking suspicion in your voice or everyone's just going to take your side. You're gaslighting our listeners now. <laughs> they love it, though. Where are you putting this poll? On, like, I was thinking, like, on a .gov website. <laughs> no, it'll probably be Twitter, I think. Strangely enough. Let's all go to the lobby To get ourselves a treat Today we're talking about the 1994 movie The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Jen, what's your relationship with this movie? Oh my god, P, what adventures they go on as well. Like, this wacky movie about three wacky drag queens in the wacky australian desert but listen pete why are we talking about a movie that is about drag queens don't you know that trans women aren't drag queens pete i'm actually very offended that you suggested this movie for this week are you trying to say that i'm just a drag queen and that you're just a drag queen what are you saying what i'm saying is that the protagonist of today's film used to be a drag queen and still performs occasionally, but at some point in her life, transitioned to living full-time as the woman she is. Her name is Bernadette. She fucking rules. I mean, spoilers, but I loved this movie. She's played by Terence Stamp in what I think is one of the best performances ever. He's nominated for a Golden Globe and a BAFTA for this. No Oscar buzz. Hmm, I wonder why. Though it does win an Oscar for best costume design, I believe. So it's a big critical and commercial success. I want it to be a little Kathy context there to set it up, particularly because I think it's interesting that this came out in 1994, the same year that Ace Ventura came out. And you and I were not crazy about that movie and particularly its portrayal of a trans character. But here that same year, we have a, what I think is a very empathetic portrayal of a trans woman at a, the center of this film. What do you think? Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think this movie is a broadly very positive POV <laughs> of uh, a particular trans experience. A sassy drag queen who's trying to deal with the sort of uh, mental anguish that goes along with sort of being a drag queen but also being a transgender and just you know she's hard as she's hard as nails you know she's in she's driving a bus all things that trans women are known to do i I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a trans woman driving a bus before i have there's several in london that i've seen doing that we gravitate towards that profession i've never seen one i'm jealous now but i do think it's interesting (laughs) that this because like i think on, a, on the surface, like you said earlier, it does look like this is a kind of just campy throwaway comedy about drag queens. But actually, it's a movie about a woman of a certain age who's sick of her life, sick of her job, sick of her circumstances, and she needs a change. She just happens to be a trans woman and a drag queen. And I think it's really deft on the part of the filmmakers that they pair her with these two younger drag queens, both of whom they're all about sort of 10 years apart in age, I want to say. So you're kind of getting the life cycle of, in many ways, just an artist generally, but particularly a queer artist that you have Adam stroke Felicia, depending on which name we're using, who's the young sort of muscle queen who's just there to party and live his life. Then we have Mitzi or Tick, who's a little bit older and getting regretful, looking back, thinking, have I made the right decisions here? And then we have Bernadette, who is just completely over it all. And I think that balance really allows this film become something more than you might initially think at a glance. Well, let me just say this. This film is kind of ahead of its time in presenting the uh, drag queen to trans woman pipeline that we are seeing all too often nowadays in popular culture. You know, these days, flipping drag queens coming out left right and center i'm non-binary i'm trans i'm transitioning and 
Um, do you know what? This film was doing it way before any of those chomps, okay? I think it feels really well observed and really lived in because of that, because it is an observable phenomenon. You're right. We're seeing it all over the place. We're seeing it in every season of Drag Race now has a contestant who's transitioning or has transitioned or is in some way gender non-conforming. I think it's really interesting that here in a relatively mainstream movie in 1994, we're seeing that observed with a real lightness of touch. I mean, let's start at the beginning. The first thing we see over the opening credits is Mitzi and Felicia performing their act at their nightclub in Sydney, uh, lip syncing to I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. Now, just looking at this. Do you think drag in 1994 was just shit? Or do you think that they're not meant to be very good? Because the audience are into it, but it looks tired as fuck. No, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to like, I'm sure you have, uh, but I don't know if you have. I don't know if you've ever been to like a rough gay bar. <laughs> like, 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 I don't, I feel like nowadays, you know, things are a little bit more um, generally inclusive and like a lot of gay spaces are more kind of like they're LGBT and that's great. People are mixing, stuff like that. But, you know, when I first came out and stuff, I, I, I went in quite a few like rough sort of gay bars where there were like drag acts who they're like a different breed, you know, they're kind of like a little bit more um, rough around the edges, sort of a little bit meaner. You know, back in the days when when being a, a kind of a, a bit of a bitch was like, oh, that was what drag was about, really, you know. But my point is, is that these are like more old fashioned, it's old fashioned drag. It's not the bells and whistles of today. It's not, you know, there's no RuPaul. There's no uh, game show. There's no... Lucky for there's them, no... there's no RuPaul, because I think every one of these girls would be told to sashay away week one. Yeah, there's no $100,000, you know, to win. There's or dollary dues, as would be the case with this film. <laughs> dollary dues. Yeah, there's none of that. But I do just, think it's just interesting. kangaroos and and mean small town uh, homophobia. That's what you've got here. And then once we've met Mitzi performing in a nightclub, we move on to the funeral scene where we meet our trans protagonist Bernadette, who's just lost her lover, and Mitzi is there to comfort her at the funeral. I think it's really interesting how there are loads of drag queens and queer people there at the funeral to support Bernadette and to mourn her lover who's just been lost. Because I think there's a version of this film that kind of portrays them as these wallowing, isolated characters and it sets them up as these, you know, cast-offs of society who have no real community of their own. But here it's showing us that in Sydney these women have even if they're a bit fed up with their circumstances they have friends they have people the thing that's like frustrating about it a little bit for me is that you never really get like much information about this guy right i think all you get told is that he's like a trumpet player or something is that right he's like a trumpet we're told player. his his name is trumpet he's 25 and he was just a sweet kid with a thing for trans women we find he's out 25 later. He is. This is the thing. This is what's interesting to me is that initially... I always, rem I always imagine him as like the same age as Bernadette. I don't agree with that. I think this is He's the point is that in this scene it sets it up that you're meant to think Bernadette is sad and miserable because she's lost the love of her life. But it's not until about halfway through the movie that we realize, oh, that relationship didn't mean a whole lot to her. She actually just is a bit fed up with her circumstances. And I think that speaks to the agency and independence of this character throughout the story. It's all about her finding her place right from the get-go. I mean, I think I should set up the story a little bit here. So Mitzi gets a call from a mysterious caller offering them a four-week gig at a casino in Alice Springs. Mitzi invites Bernadette along and then invites along a younger a drag queen called Adam or Felicia to travel on a bus across the desert and go to Alice Springs to do this gig for four weeks. The majority of the movie is the road trip. So when we meet Adam, he bursts in as a force of nature played by Guy Pearce. I 
love this performance. Something that you said earlier is something that had never actually occurred to me really is that like, and I've seen the film a lot of times, it's just I'm not very observant. I kind of just enjoy like the bright colors and movement and stuff. But like you said that like each character kind of like represents like a different age. And that's totally true, you know, like <laughs> that never occurred to me in terms of like, it's almost like a timeline of being. You know that, that old thing where people are like, what, what? creature <laughs> uh, crawls on four legs and then walks on two legs and then walks on three legs you've heard that thing yeah it's like yeah. that but in drag queen so form. donkey with an interesting light yeah <laughs> but yeah yeah no, and i think, I think, I think it's, uh, it, guy pierce does a brilliant job in this he does and i think in a worse actor's hands it would be a very broad campy performance but he brings the reality because i think we've all met that sort of very young muscle queen really handsome, is enjoying the nightlife for the first time in their life. He comes from a rich background, we learn immediately. You know, he's probably never had to work a day in his life. His mother has given him 10 grand to buy the bus they're going to set off in, which he mm -hmm. bought from three Swedish tourists called Laws, Laws and Laws, which really <laughs> made me laugh. And I just love the boyish bounding quality he brings to the performance. And I love that his whole life dream is to climb King Ca King's Canyon in full drag that's set up so early, purely so he can get the grand cinematic payoff that comes later on. But I mean, what a dream. We get the incredible line from Bernadette where she says, you'll be a cock in a frock on a rock. <laughs> and I just think Stamp's delivery of all these sort of catty one-liners throughout is just so beautiful. I think as soon as they set off on the bus and we get, uh, Adam stroke Felicia and Tick stroke Mitzi gossiping about their friend Keith's dick enlargement sur uh, surgery and they're like cackling yeah. away and it's all very gossipy and campy. I think there's a crap version of this movie where that surface level camp humor is all you're getting. But the genius of this is it then pans over to Bernadette driving the bus and she just rolls her eyes and you can just sense that this woman is over it. And it's not just that she's over young people talking so flippantly and having these bitch fests. It's the fact that she's over this entire lifestyle. She's just past it and she needs something new. Yeah, and I feel like um, Agent Smith, like his sort of like character um, is like almost like an intermediary to those two things, you know, because like he is, yeah, like he enjoys the cackling, he enjoys the sort of like catty jokes and stuff, but also, and again, I'm sure we'll come on to this, but he's got like a, a lot going on in his life as well. Well, with, yeah, Hugo Weaving's character, Mitzi or Tick, whichever we want to refer to or them Or Agent as. Smith, however or you want Agent to say Smith. With Hugo Weaving's good, it? performance, it's all so internal because it's the anxiety about his past catching up with him that once they get to Alice Springs, everything is going to come to light that he's been trying to, in a way, run away from as he asserts his own identity for the past six years. I mean, spoiler alert, but it was his estranged ex-wife that made that call earlier, inviting them to come to the casino to do the gig. And he's built it up in his head as this big thing that he needs to run away from. Neither of the other two know that he has a wife at all. And it's... It's so brooding and internalized in Hugo Weaving's performance. And I think, again, it's another energy coming to this, that everything Guy Pierce is doing is so surface level and so, like, boisterous. Everything Bernadette or Tara Stamp is doing as Bernadette is so sort of eye-rolly and past it and over it all. And then Hugo Weaving is this kind of internalized anxiety in between them. I think it's just a really interesting dramatic dynamic apart from the comedy. I thought it was really interesting around this point in the movie, we get Adam leans into Tick and whispers and says, is it true that Bernadette's real name is Ralph? And I thought it was really interesting that we get that sense of a dead name being a sensitive subject for a trans woman, even in a comedy from 1994 that is not told from a trans perspective necessarily. It's aware of that as a triggering thing for a trans woman yeah like the film is definitely well researched you know like you can tell that like whoever wrote it had definitely spoken or known trans women around that time i'm sure 
What did you think about this bit of the movie where they stop in the small town and they go to a local bar in full drag and it does that like Western movie thing where the piano like stops playing as they enter and everyone turns their heads and watches them as they walk to the bar? Well, firstly, that that's the bar in the hotel, right? And like that hotel is amazing. Like the way it looks. I know it's I know they picked it because it looks like garish and weird. But apparently it's like a real hotel in Australia and you can like still go there and still like get that room and everything. I think there are like people that go on kind of like Priscilla pilgrimages to do it. But um, yeah, no, I like the scene. You know, it's just, it's just one of those campy scenes. You know, it's one of those like goofy. But the humour in this movie is really good. The reason why I like it is because it never... It has moments that are like full of pathos and it has moments that are like meaningful, but it never dwells on them for too long. Like it, it, it's actually in a way like the film itself is kind of like a drag queen in in this or an old fashioned style drag queen in the sense that like, yeah, like there's there's something deeper under the surface. But generally, like the movie is quite rough, you know, it's it's quite like. Um, bitchy and catty and it's like never far away from a joke and you feel quite safe within it for that reason so even when there are moments that are quite like heart-wrenching in it it's like you know it's not going to be long until uh, someone's being called like a pufter or something like that it's yeah it's uh, it's good uh, if, if I recall in that scene isn't there like a drinking competition that takes place um, well this is what between... I was going to say is that they're initially sort of like treated as pariahs in this bar and then this sort of battle woman come comes over and says that they don't serve people like them in this bar and bernadette absolutely slams we don't serve her. people like you <laughs> and bernadette says something like uh listen here mullet why don't you light your tampon on fire and blow your box to pieces because it's the only bang you're ever gonna get sweetheart and then there's a pause where you think like quite rehearsed that comeback, I think. But you think like, oh no, they've gone too far. The whole town's going to turn on them. But then every guy in the bar like cheers because Bernadette has rinsed this fucking battle axe with her rehearsed <laughs> put down. She read her to filth. Um, she truly did. Say. But then they get into a drinking competition. And again, it's that sense of Bernadette not as a victim, but as Victor, as someone who is in control of her situation. She drinks this battle axe under the table and is celebrated by the locals for it. Well, actually, Pete, I think you'll find that uh, Bernadette actually has XY chromosomes. So actually, Bernadette is more able to hold alcohol than a, a natal-born biological woman like this battle axe. Wash your mouth out with soap, Jenna. <laughs> hey, I'm just giving the gender critical position on this, okay? I think this podcast needs a bit of balance. We like to cover all perspectives. Fair. <laughs> I do. And speaking of uh, transphobia, we then get the scene where Felicia just fully dead names Bernadette in front of everyone. She calls her Ralph, and then Bernadette brings them back to the hotel room. And she just kicks the shit out of Felicia, which again, I thought was great. It's like she's not a victim. She's not wallowing. She's not down on herself. She's pissed off, but she's going to let Adam stroke Felicia know about it. She just kicks the shit out of her. As we're talking about drag queens, actually, which is quite nice. Do you, um, are you a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you watch it much? Yes, I do. I watch it. And I think the format has gotten quite tired. It's very repetitive, but I watch it with my mother, Barbara Deneen, friend of the pod. And it, yeah, it's good fun. But I mean, it's almost like it's it may as well be about anything because it's not even about the drag anymore. It's just like any reality competition show where you're investing in the people and the story and the stupid little games rather than watching it with a genuine critical eye towards is this good or bad drag? What about you? Yeah, I used to watch it a lot. Like I, I watched it a lot when it was first on, when it was like in its... Uh, what I like to call like the shitty days, like when it was like really cheap and they didn't really know what they were doing and they used to go outside sometimes to do challenges and stuff. It was all very weird, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And yeah, like it's still, it's got worse, but it's still decent. Who's your favorite drag queen uh, from the sort of pantheon of RuPaul graduates? <laughs> Off the top of my head, I like Adore Delano. I just remember the ones who have good personalities on it. I'm not about 
who who was actually good at drag and this speaks to my comment about what the show really is what about you Alyssa Edwards is my all-time favorite queen I think Alyssa has has never been matched in terms of pure unself-aware uh, comedy are you going to shell out West End prices to go see her show in London? No. <laughs> Have you noticed, though, like how in the American ones, like they win like a hundred thousand dollars, and then like in the British one, they win like a tea cake. <laughs> like, it's to do with uh, the way the BBC with is. RuPaul. It's, it's to do with the way the BBC is funded and the rules about what you can and cannot give out as prizes on game shows. So, when they wake up the next morning, they find that the bus has been vandalised with some... Yeah. and what does it say, P? I'm reluctant to say it, but in quotation marks, it says, AIDS fuckers go home. And like you said, it shows that homophobia, and it shows them reacting to it, and it gives space to showcase their hurt around that, but it doesn't dwell on it. They're immediately back onto the bus, moving on, but literally the next cut is Felicia on top of the bus as it drives through the desert in sort of this metallic one-piece thing with these big sails behind her lip-syncing to Sempre Libra from La Traviata. Like, it's yeah. it really kind of undercuts the the pathos, not in a way that undermines it, but kind of reminds you that these are joyful characters with agency telling their own story on their own terms. Yeah, it's that idea of, you know, although it's like a shocking image for us uh, watching the movie, it's showing you that these characters have been through this before. This is like nothing new to them from where they live. I mean, I'm sure you've had this, P, like I certainly have. Like, I don't know if you've ever maybe early on in your transition or if you've ever gone on holiday um, like post-transition or if you've ever sort of um, visited like old family or, or something like that just anytime there's a situation where you walk into a room and you just feel like you are the odd one out and everyone is looking at you and like you were saying earlier with that kind of like piano stop moment it's like yeah that's done for comedy but I've felt that like I've like for example, like, if I'm with my family, like my dad and sister or whatever, and, you know, let's just say that my dad doesn't hang around in the same circles maybe that I do. So, like, if my dad wants to go out to the uh, the working men's club that he's a part of and he wants me to come because he wants to include me in whatever it is that he and my sister are doing, I always have to be conscious of the fact of, like, okay, like, okay, like I'm happy to come, but I have been in that situation where I've walked into a place like that and I have felt everyone just be like what's going on here who is this what is this you know like long like maybe like it was a while ago but but i felt that and i think it's just something that we kind of get used to and i think that whole scene that you're talking about where like after they've experienced what you could regard as like a quite severe hate crime <laughs> actually they just brush it off and you know turn to opera as many of us do yeah, and then they literally paint the bus pink. Like, what more defiant way of dealing with that could you have? They paint over the horrible hate crime graffiti yeah. with a lovely coat of paint. Paint. Well, let's not go mad and call it a lovely coat of paint, okay? Well, like, they, it's a they, horrible... They, like, they, they're not... They're they hardly... start it off. They start it off. They do an okay job uh, kind of, like, covering up the, the hate crime. But then the, the props department uh, comes in and makes the bus look nice. <laughs> like, I know I'm not trying to, like, kill the illusion of the film, but I'm just saying when you see them painting the bus at the start, they're doing a pretty shitty job at it. This is when they've broken down in the desert and then Bernadette goes to get help because once again, she's a strong trans woman who lives life on her own terms. But... She is an idiot as well. <laughs> like that is like yeah, it's I, I know it's it works out, but that is de that is deranged to do that. I mean, well, like, it initially anyway. doesn't work out. Is the thing is that we initially get she. It feels almost throwaway, but it's just I guess to reinforce the idea that they are outsiders here. But she meets Mister and Missus Spencer in their four by four, who are perfectly fine driving her, a trans woman, back to the bus. 
But then once Mr. and Mrs. Spencer get a sight of her two drag queen partners and this half pink buzz, they hightail it right out of there. Is that assumption, is that thing again where it's like the film is saying that for the purposes of this scene, Bernadette passes really well? Or at least in the environment of a kind of, you know, backwater sort of uh, more rough around the edges environment. Like in that space, she's presented as being like, this is a fully passing trans woman. But then when it gets back to the bus, it's like, it's an exposure. It's like saying like, look, no, actually this is a group of like flaming queers. And then that's, that's sort of like the reveal and then they drive away, right? So it's kind of saying that there's a limit you know, as long as you fit into kind of like the binary and you're wearing like a very white uh, pantsuit or whatever it is that she's wearing, <laughs> you can get away with it. But um, but yeah, when they see the full queerness of, of, of the group, they hightail it out of there. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Spencer hightail it out of there. But later, as the girls are practicing their routine in the desert, who discovers them but Alan the Aboriginal and... Alan takes them to a lovely little Aboriginal get-together where all his family and friends are out in their pickup trucks just playing music and having a good time and no one bats an eyelid that these three women are there. There's a slight tension, but they're welcomed and they sit down. And then after the three Aboriginal people are finished playing their guitars and there's applause, the girls decide to get up and give them a taste of their act. What did you think of the, what I am calling the Aboriginal dance party sequence? Hey, I actually really like it. I, I, I think love it. Mainly be- I think mainly because, like, I don't see a lot of Australian movies that actually confront or, like, try to talk about, you know, Aboriginal peoples, but particularly from that kind of time period. I don't know masses about it, or as the Australians would say, heaps. I don't know heaps about the history, but what I do know is is that you don't see it that often. And I think it's a really lovely scene. It's, like, a largely sort of, like, silent scene. Like, there's not loads of dialogue in it, because there's, like, obviously, like, a bit of a language barrier, and it's just, they're kind of, like, you know, it's cheesy, but they're, like, bonding through music. And I think that's really nice. Yeah, and I yeah, think there's a bit it. of confusion between both of them. Like, what are you about? What are you about? But in the end, everyone gets involved. You see the Aboriginal man. He's like dressed up in like a silly tutu or whatever. They're all dancing, having a lovely party. Well, I think Alan the Aboriginal, when he's magically suddenly in drag and he's performing with them, he knows all the steps to their routine. So I think like what this movie is really about is the most preternaturally gifted drag performer of all time in Alan the Aboriginal Man, who is, you know, we could focus on him and see his rise to drag stardom. But instead, the Aboriginal people just help the three queens find a mechanic to aid them on their quest. And this is where we first meet Bob who is an older Australian man from the country, and he greets these women with complete acceptance. Yeah, he's like a kind of an old kind of hippie, isn't he? A little bit, like, because he's got one of those, like, hippie bands on. I think that's the implication, and he sort of mentions throughout that he travelled the world for 30 years before deciding to end up where he started you know so there's this sense that he's lived a life and maybe he like bernadette is a bit past it all as well and we get we get that reinforced when he invites them to dinner at his house and here right okay so i was loving this movie loving everything about it thinking wow this is such an empathetic beautiful three-dimensionalized portrayal of these people who otherwise would be portrayed as the these weirdos on the fringes of society what a great movie full of love and humanity and then we meet cynthia the blot yeah, well i'm glad on the otherwise because... pristine coffee book of this film i mean what is this character we talked about like like we had a brief conversation the other night because we try not to talk too much about the movies before we uh before we do the podcast but like we both said to each other me and p we were like yeah we i really love the movie but there's like one scene that like i don't think is very good 
and he was like don't say what it is like let's see if let's see if we match up on the day and i'm guessing that we are because like this is like just it's just like it's one of the m- more misjudged bits of the movie and i'm sure in the future there'll probably be bits that people look back on and go oh that doesn't really hold up too well either but i'd say this bit in particular like probably wasn't even all right for the time really it's pretty it's pretty shit in that well, yeah, to give the listeners some context, Cynthia is Bob's wife. She is a Filipino woman. She speaks in sort of ludicrous, over-the-top, broken English in a really ridiculous, false Southeast Asian accent. She's aggressive. She's overly sexual. Bob is ashamed of her from the get-go. You kind of get the impression, why are these two even together? And I think the implication is sort of you're meant to think that she's a mail-order bride, but we learn later on she's a sex worker Bob encountered on holiday who tricked him into marrying her while they were drunk so she could be brought to Australia with him. So there's no love lost between them, but the portrayal of her as this sort of, you know, mouthy, horrible, aggressive Filipino woman feels like something from a completely different movie. And it comes to a head when Bob invites the girls to perform drag at the local bar. We learn Bob is a bit of a stan. He loves this Australian drag act called the Lay Girls that he saw in Sydney years ago. And we learn Bernadette was one of the original Lay Girls. And there's a little free song between them that we're going to spark off of later in the movie. So after Bob finds out that Bernadette was one of the original Lay Girls, he invites them to perform at the local pub where they go on and they do their tired act and everyone at the bar is, isn't aggressive towards them, just is, is a bit confused, which I think you would be if you lived in a sort of backwoods town and these three drag queens well, suddenly showed up at your local pub and Bob was applauding like crazy because he's a chaser and nobody else is into it. Also, I'd be really confused by this particular act because, like, the costuming is terrible, like, on this particular performance. Like, they look atrocious, like, all of them. Like, the makeup and the costumes, like, they look horrendous. And I can't remember what song they're doing, but I just remember the whole thing is, like, done at half effort, and it's, like, they're really not in their element in this scene. And then they're interrupted by Cynthia, who comes in in leopard print lingerie, and everyone in the pub goes nuts because they know what's coming. Bob looks mortified. The girls get off the stage. Cynthia gets up with some ping pong balls and she fully shoots them out of her vagina towards the audience. And they go wild for it. And Bob is mortified and the girls don't know what to make of it, apart from Adam stroke Felicia, who thinks it's great fun. But I mean, to my mind, they've been bumped from the bill for a better act and you have to deal with that. It's show business, right? You do have to deal with that sometimes. You get bumped. It does happen. But you forgot to mention the fact that, like, all of her ping pong balls are kept in, like, a cabinet with, like, a padlock on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if, you don't, if you don't want her to do a uh, ping pong ball act, get rid of the ping pong balls. Don't put them in an alluring cabinet that's so easily opened. Yeah, because Bob lies to the girls and says that Cynthia's barred from the pub. He doesn't say that he just is ashamed of her, so doesn't like bringing her to the pub in case she shoots ping pong balls out of her vag. Yeah, it's a weird scene. It's like, it takes every stereotype that you can imagine and just like rolls it into one there, doesn't it? And it's like... It's really horrible and ugly and just so out of step with everything else the film is about on like a spiritual level. It made me very uncomfortable. But then Cynthia and Bob have this big falling out. Uh, There's a nice moment where Bob asks Bernadette why she lives as a woman. And then we get this flashback scene that kind of echoes the one you were talking about earlier where Bernadette is shown as a child and she's switched the presents around to Christmas. So she gets the doll that was intended for her sister to kind of show, oh, look, she was always like this. It's not something she could help. What were you like with uh, girls' toys when you were a kid? You have a little sister. Like, were you always like sneaking into a room to play with her dolls and stuff? Or were you just kind of like low-key, incredibly jealous all of the time? Can I be honest with you, Pete? I didn't give a fuck about her toys. Like, I thought that... Like, I think it's universally known that girls' toys are just, like, kind of shit. And, like, actually, like... Boys' toys are just better toys. So, I, you know, I was lucky in that regard. She did have one toy that I that I did used to want. And, like, Here we but go. It, 
but but it wasn't really because it was girly. It was just it was just because it was like a kick-ass toy. Yeah, but we're but still calling that... Lucy Eyes out on the pod. I hope if you're listening, <laughs> Lucy, it's a um, it's like a fairy, and you like pull the cord, and then it like spins off into the sky. Yeah, I remember them. Oh, they slap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really great. I'll tell you what, like, I wasn't ever really jealous about the toys. What I was always more jealous of, if, well, jealousy is the wrong word, I guess. But for me, it was like, it was just, a, it was just more of a general existential sort of like longing to be in that role. And also, it was more like a kind of, um, it was more about just like, yeah, just like how people treated me and perceived me more like less so about like the actual physical like toys or like there was a bit of like clothes and stuff like that like I was jealous of that kind of thing but yeah I've just never really got on board with that whole kind of thing of like oh I just always wanted to play with Barbies and stuff because I always thought Barbie was just like fucking lame you know right I agree and I think it's that thing when you're a kid you don't really think twice about what's put in front of you like my brother and I are very close in age and neither of us were ever into what would have been considered I guess stereotypically male toys like we never had kind of like played with guns and all that sort of stuff but we were both kind of creatively minded so we had like Lego and we drew a lot and played like imagination based games and those kind of things which I guess would be in traditional sense gender neutral I tell you what me and my sister used to like doing when we were kids. We used to like hitting each other with sticks in the garden. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> Is that that's kind of gender neutral, I suppose. Yeah. I mean you did have an unfair biological advantage and if it ever became an Olympic sport, I would pick at your involvement in that event. But I had a smaller stick though. Yeah, did you adopt that handicap? <laughs> yeah, it was fair. It was more fair. In the next bit of the film, they stop in a little mining town, right? And Bob goes out drinking with his buddies. Mitzi this and Bernadette. This is the betrayal. This is the exactly betrayal. right. It's like Peter denying Christ. So Mitzi and Bernadette go so. off for dinner, which we'll come back to. But Felicia does some drugs and she gets done up in full drag. She goes down to the town where the boys are all drinking and she greets Bob. And Bob like turns his head as if he's never seen this person before in his life. And then Felicia ends up getting... betray me. Felicia gets full-on assaulted by Bob's fucking drinking buddies. Well, this is the thing about Bob. Like so many men, he is all talk. He's all like, uh... Bob's a fuckboy, that's what I'm gonna say. He's all talk. He wants wants it all until his friends have to know about it. And then he's a fucking coward. Jen's projecting again. I'm not, like, it's got nothing to do with my real life, this bit. We've all read your blog. (laughs) But at the same time that this is all unfolding, Mitzi and Bernadette are having a very touching chat over dinner about whether Mitzi was a good husband throughout the years, about whether either, either of them had ever thought about having kids. We get some sense of their family lives outside of what we've already seen. Bernadette says she hasn't spoken to her parents since she had what she refers to as the chop. And I think, again, that's kind of, it's almost nice in a way because we were talking last week about these sort of problematic dick reveal scenes that we've been seeing week after week on this podcast. And here it's kind of a way of communicating to the audience, no, you're not getting that. Have you ever, like, it's not unrelated, but like, have you ever seen the movie To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar? No, and I know that someone shouted it out in the piss pig pen as a suggestion for us to cover because it deals with kind of gender roles and all that, but I've never seen who, it. Who who shouted that out? Because this is not a good suggestion. Because it's not um, it's not a trans movie. There's no like trans characters in it, but it's um, it's kind of like a rip off movie of this movie. That's why it's interesting. That's the impression um, I got. Yeah, no, it is. I think it was a bit later and it's like set in America and RuPaul is in it. It does look like a far more surface level rehashing of this story. And that I was saying earlier, what I love about this is that it's almost about the life cycle of a queer performer and that we're getting a sense of, I mean, I think at its core, Bernadette is the lead character in this film. And it is about a woman of a certain age trying to find her place in life when she's just a bit sick of everything and i think that level of pathos and that level of reality doesn't seem to be something that tu wang fu is concerned with 
And did you notice that when Felicia and Mitzi go off in the bus, Felicia shouts, see a Ralph out the back of the cool bus, side. which I thought was, <laughs> I thought that was another really lame, sour note that kind of tarnishes the film from a 2021 I perspective. I thought it was funny. I think it's funny. Oh, it's funny because Felicia would do it. And there's, there's a well, sense at that point thing. that... There's a sense at that point that Felicia's kind of grown because there's this glimpse of her and Benji sort of like almost being kids together. Like you get this really lovely sequence where Benji asks Felicia to go play Lego with him and you kind of see like, oh, Felicia's just a little kid herself, really. And after they've spent these few weeks that you haven't seen at the casino, you think like, oh, Felicia's grown now. You know, she's being a sort of like older brother type to Benji. But then she shouts that out the back of the bus and you're like, nah, same old queen. But that's the point. Like, like, so, so this is the thing. Is like, yeah, you could interpret that as being a bit mean spirited or anything, but you can only have so much character development. It's, it never works when someone grows so much that it's unbelievable, you know. And you have to remember that their dynamic, above anything else, is young and old. And True. like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, calling Bernadette Ralph is. It is the funnier thing to. I mean, I don't. I don't acknowledge. I. I don't want anyone to dead name me or anything like that. But what I would say is, is like with their dynamic, that's the joke. That's what you would go to. That's a good way to end. It's like you don't want it to end too schlocky. You know, it's you want. You want to see ending. Bernadette go. Oh, I'll get you what? next time, you meddling queer. <laughs> it fits in with the overall tone of the movie, I guess. And I suppose yeah. when the other big screen offering of a trans character in this year is Einhorn in Ace Ventura. This seems like the most woke thing ever created by comparison. But yeah, um, it's it's a very Australian ending, you know. It's like... That would be a good film title in itself. An Australian ending. A very Australian ending. I like, that could be the sequel, which me and you star in P, when we take a road trip across Australia. Yeah, about a British and an Irish trans girl. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing. Why is Bernadette British? Like, is that addressed in this? I don't think she is, though. I think she's meant to be Australian and the accent just isn't that thick. I'm almost 100% sure she is because the twang, I was thinking that too, and the twang kind of creeps in. I'm like 100% sure she's meant to be Australian. Because she was one of the original lay girls 30 years ago. Well, at no point does anyone call her a pommy bitch or anything like that so i guess maybe she's supposed to be australian but it's not a very clear yeah cop onto yourself you pommy bitch (laughs) it's not a very clear portrayal of an australian like i have always thought this is a british character well yeah terence stamp isn't doing much to disguise his voice which i think is interesting from a trans point of view as well because most of us go through some degree of vocal dysphoria and trying to change our voices to align more clearly with how we want our voices to sound, but Bernadette clearly hasn't done that. She just speaks like Terence Stamp. Yeah, but I don't think that's intentional for the movie. I think that's because, you know, this movie has, yet again, a cisgendered actor playing a trans character. I mean, they never well, commit to that level. I think that's interesting as well. Only because... Dill. Only Dill. Because we've Dill's tried... an exception. Dill's another species. Dill, Dill is like we've next tried, level. albeit ham-fistedly, to have this conversation on the pod, but it's always ended up on the editing room floor. But I will say very briefly, I think our shared perspective on this is that in 2021, trans characters should be played by trans performers. Trans stories should be told by trans people. But in 1994, when Everyone's negotiating how you tell these stories on anyone's terms, let alone trans people's terms. I think you can kind of give this movie a pass for casting Terence Stamp. I'm not criticizing it for casting Terence Stamp. I'm just saying that the reason why you don't get an authentic trans portrayal is because you're not getting an authentic trans person playing it. So you're not, they don't have the time or the like to like but i do think it's worth noting that there is a stage production a musical based off of this and in that there's there was a recent casting announced for it and they still cast a cisgender man in the role of bernadette and i think in 2021 that is not okay so jason donovan and the other producers of the uk touring company of the adventures of queen of priscilla queen of the desert the musical hop yourselves on and give me a call 
Hello, piss pigs. Uh, this is Jen Ives coming at you for the first time from the editing bay is my computer. Uh, there's no P here, it's just me. And the reason for that is, is because the little wrap up that me and P usually do at the end of the podcast, it didn't record my side. So basically I've got like another half an hour of just P talking to herself. And as much as she would probably love me to post that because she's got a big ego, um, I thought it would be better if I just came in and sort of relayed the information back to you. Um, this podcast is a bit, a bit scrappy, a bit, a bit rough around the edges, but you know what? It's hot. All right, give us a break. Next week, it'll probably be cooler. And so will we. But here's what, here's what we missed, okay? Uh, the piss pig of the week is... There's, imagine a drum roll, I'm not going to edit one in it's Steglegs well done Steglegs, you're the piss pig of the week, congratulations uh, me and P have been discussing what the piss pig of the week should get and we have decided that what you should get is an actual tangible, physical uh, set of stickers uh, actual real trans lobby stickers so if you are the piss pig of the week as you are Steggs um, send us a message however you want on the discord or through our email and we will get you some amazing stickers sent off also if you have been a piss pig of the previous weeks we will also uh, we will send you stickers as well we were planning on doing a little Q&A sort of uh, episode midweek uh, a kind of bonus episode that's exciting isn't it so if there's any questions that you have for either me or p send them on the discord or send them through the email which is translobbypod at gmail.com uh anyway thanks for listening i'm not going to go on too long because uh, p is trusting me to do this this wrap-up bit well uh if i don't do it she hurts me <laughs> just joking anyway have a nice day and uh we'll see you next week isn't that right p yes yes that's right we'll see you next week thanks p hey jen get me out of my box no p you're not coming out of your box okay guys (laughs) bye